Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every $20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at Armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Hello and welcome to the Autosport Podcast. I'm your host, Alex Kalanorkas. Formula One's first Eiffel Grand Prix turned out to be even more historic as Lewis Hamilton triumphed for Mercedes and in doing so equaled Michael Schumacher's record of 91 Formula One victories. Hamilton won from second on the grid after challenging his pole-sitting teammate Valtteri Bottas at the first corner and then capitalising when Bottas locked up heavily and ran off the track after 13 of the race's 60 laps had been completed. Hamilton was therefore thrown into a lead he would never lose, while Bottas later retired with a suspected electrical problem on his power unit. Max Verstappen chased Hamilton throughout. At times they were lapping several seconds faster than the other cars and would likely have lapped the entire field had a late race safety car not intervened as it was called for Lando Norris retiring his McLaren after an ignition problem blighted his engine. But Verstappen ultimately was no match for the Mercedes driver as he could not make inroads in after the safety car restart where he actually found himself under attack from Daniel Ricciardo. The Renault driver had lost a lot of time to the leaders, being stuck behind Charles Leclerc's rolling SF1000 roadblock in the early stages. But he still looked to be on for a maiden podium finish with the French manufacturer. He is soon set to leave as soon as Bottas retired. But this was then seriously threatened by Racing Point's Sergio Perez, who was gaining time on Ricardo significantly after making a long first stint on the softs work well. But the safety car put all the leaders on the same soft tyres at the end and Ricardo was able to hang on to third after challenging Verstappen at the restart. Elsewhere, there was yet another unforced spinning error from Sebastian Vettel, starring drives to the points from Roman Grosjean and Antonio Giovinazzi, while super sub Nico Hülkenberg managed to go from last eighth with a fine drive in place of Lance Stroll. We're back from the track, our Airbnb in Guise, a 40-minute drive from the Nürburgring. To discuss all of that and more on Zoom, our motorsport.com's F1 editor, Jonathan Noble, and GP Racing executive editor, Stuart Codling, who I'm going to come to first because it's been a little while since he's been on a podcast, although I appreciate you, you weren't on the Russian GP podcast either. Um, but Codders, was that a good race? 
Well, that's a hard question, isn't it? I, th- I think it was uh, made through by circumstance, really, wasn't it? And some people might even think that it's quite a good advert for binning off Friday practice because it, it creates a little bit of uncertainty. And um, Gunter Steiner, in his post-race debrief, did actually say, we, we always actually seem to go well when um, this uh, Friday practice has been disrupted. So... That's quite an interesting proposition, a roll-on Imola, I say. Interesting. Well, yeah, I mean, there's, there's certainly varying schools of thought. I know Williams basically think the opposite to Haas. They would prefer to have the track time rather than uh, rather than uh, lose out on all the practice running. But yeah, the reason why I asked that at the start was just because not a lot happened at the front of the race once Bottas was out of the way. It was fairly clear that Hamilton sort of seemed to have Verstappen in his pocket whenever he really wanted to. And the intrigue of could Bottas get back with maybe having to do a two-stopper or what he could do was ultimately uh, taken away when, when he couldn't he, he couldn't continue because of his uh, power unit problem. So I just I just sort of left wondering, it was like, it felt like a good race apart from at the front. It was just missing that sort of cherry on top. But, you know, you can't have everything and you know, perhaps I'm, I'm simply uh, misery guts expecting too much. But there we go. Anyway, John, did you enjoy the Eiffel Grand Prix? I thought it was quite a weird one, really, because lots lots happened, but nothing happened in some respects. That um, After the great first lap, Valtteri's move around the outside was good. Then the um, instant when, when he locked up, ruined the tyres and Lewis got ahead. So all this was all this was happening, and then we were about lap thirty-ish, and still had half the race to run. And it seemed like the race had already been on for two or three hours. Uh, so it seemed to have gone on a while, which is normally the sign of a boring race when it drags. But there's actually quite a lot going on, so it was a bit of a bit of a, a weird one, really. I still think it'll go down as an all-time classic, but I think there's some good good storylines there. Um, obviously, Lewis equaling Michael's record, Valtteri's first corner. Um, Max shadowing him, the Lando Norris incident, and of course Daniel Ricciardo getting that maiden podium for Rene. I think it's one of those races that doesn't actually come together as a coherent whole in terms of storytelling, as we must describe these things nowadays. And as as, as I was watching it unfold, I was counting my lucky stars that um, Ben Anderson's going to be uh, writing the race report for GP Racing because it's it's one of those ones where. It, it it wasn't very homogenous. It's not it's 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 not a race where you can describe any sort of coherent thread. And and I pity the fool who has to try and write a race report, Alex, uh, for Autosport that that does all these things because it it it, it was very much a, a, a race of sort of three thirds, wasn't it? You had the the virtual safety car that interrupted things, added a dose of peril for Daniel Ricciardo who pitted during the virtual safety car period only for it to disappear while he was in pit lane uh, and then of course the, the final safety car when when Lando Norris parked his car in an inconvenient spot then shook it up again a little bit and what you get with these disruptions is is, is you get a, a race that ends up with being interesting but not actually having a narrative that you can relate to in any coherent form in, in a race report so I, I, I look forward to reading your report and of course as ever the driver ratings <laughs> Thank you very much, God, as well. Yeah, I obviously I, I have understood this problem, whereas planning ahead with the magazine feature that I'm going to be writing after we finish recording this podcast. I think really, ultimately, it all comes down to, to Valtteri Bottas. Okay, he, he retired from the race, but it's yet another mistake that effectively hands Lewis Hamilton 
the win. I don't think he was ever there was ever a realistic chance of him getting back. Luke, I know uh, you went to Toto Wolff's Zoom press conference and he sort of insisted that he was still in the fight. But before we before we get to the big error that proved to be so costly, um, what did Bottas have to say, Luke, about that move at the start? Because it got pretty dramatic between the two Mercedes drivers. At one point, I was like, oh, does there a slight touch? But I don't think that quite happened. But yeah, what was Bottas's view of what's quite a sort of it was quite he got his elbows out quite nicely and hung on in there against Hamilton, but it was certainly a, a feisty start to the race. It was, yeah, and it was quite nice to sort of see that um, see that fight from Bottas, something that's maybe been missing at points this season. And uh, even afterwards, Lewis Hamilton said that he, after he saw the movie, he was like, oh, yeah, good on you. Well done. I was quite impressed. And uh, maybe he sounded a little bit patronising, but I don't think it was at all meant to be. And uh, yeah, I asked Valtteri about that and said, like, what was your sort of thinking in that move and everything? And he said, like, I, I wasn't going to give that place up. And like, ultimately, that's the, I guess, the resilience that he's always trying to show throughout this ultimately failing title fight against Lewis Hamilton that he's not going to back down he's not going to roll over and he got his elbows out and yeah Toto Wolff said it was sort of like a, a finished rally driver move sort of like being a little bit off track running across the curb and uh, giving it everything to stay ahead so uh, yeah it was it was a really good move I thought and I think once we saw off the line Hamilton make the better start and then push Bottas wide because he got a bit of understeer I think we kind of thought oh here we go again like okay that's that's race done Lewis Hamilton again taking it from Bottas but Bottas fought back and that was really cool to see so uh, yeah a really nice move uh, Toto Wolff said he had no concern at any point about contact even though it did get a little bit close between the two of them as uh, Hamilton did sort of wash out a bit but um, yeah nice to see that sort of good wheel-to-wheel fight between the two of them even if it only lasted uh, for a couple of corners Indeed well turn one was uh, was the scene of much drama for Mercedes uh, today Cottas what did you think when you saw the TV cameras suddenly cut back and Lewis Hamilton was just getting around ahead of Valtteri Bottas coming out of turn two because for a long while was Bottas in the, the over the first few laps was just sort of doing enough to stay ahead of Hamilton but you were like oh is, is that a sign of he's just got the edge or is Hamilton waiting for the race to develop and then he's going to unleash something as, as he has done in the past but yeah he I mean Bottas says that the lockup was caused by a few spots of rain just just caught him out and, and Mercedes seems to confirm that and he said well Lewis the reason why he didn't do it was because he would have seen me locking up and know to take care but it just it's just another it's just another mistake that Bottas can't afford to make so what what was what were you thinking when you saw what had happened I was quite surprised because Bottas is usually quite good in low grip situations um, when there are changing conditions uh, and you know with the, the the rain had been sort of advertised but it was only a few sort of spits and spots it, it, there wasn't a huge amount but it, it was obviously enough to change what is still what was a very green track because we, we'd, we'd been missing um, two 90 minute sessions on, on the Friday so it, it just hadn't rubbed in quite to quite the extent it would have done otherwise I, I was scribbling away a few notes in my notebook and, and I'd actually been noting that Bottas had been doing a good job to stay out of DRS range just when he then sort of um, dropped it, locked his front left uh, wheel uh, and, and slithered straight on. It, it, it's a very tricky corner turn one at the Nürburgring. I think it, it's it's one of Herman Tilke's better efforts, really, in terms of luring drivers into into making a mistake. And it's it's partly the camber, partly the little dip that happens beforehand and, and the way it opens out afterwards that uh, it opens up a number of possibilities for, and different lines for drivers to take. So it's an, it's an interesting corner. It's also quite challenging. And to see Valtteri sort of drop it there, you just kind of thought, uh, you know, a, a, a six-time world champion wouldn't be making that sort of mistake. 
Yeah, it's interesting. I did I did note that on the lap before, Bottas had just lost uh, three tenths of a second, which is quite a big chunk considering his, as you say, he was out of DRS range, but the gap still wasn't massive. So I don't know whether he's just suddenly come under a bit of pressure. Then the rain happened and it was all a bit of a combination. Um, but John, uh, Luke earlier said that Bottas's title uh, challenge is, is failing. Um, he, he also says himself that he needs a miracle now if he's going to overhaul Hamilton, considering I think, I think off the top of my head, it's 69 points between the two of them. Um, could well be wrong. Who knows? Anyway, um, what do you what do you what do you make of uh, what Bottas has has he got anything left has he got any hope or is uh, is the 2020 title gone by this point? Well, I think realistically, even before the race today, it was going to take a Lewis DNF uh, or more than one Lewis DNF for Valtteri have a realistic chance of the championship. Um, you know, even what, what was he forty something points clear coming into this weekend? Um, that still takes would have still taken some incident to close that gap, uh, and I think now it's going to be even more freakish circumstances but it doesn't mean just because we think the championship's gone just because Valtteri knows that realistically the championship's gone that he kind of rolls over and gives up so you still got to as a racing driver you still got to go out you still got to go and try and deliver because circumstances can happen things can weird things um could take place um you know Lewis could get ill coronavirus is around there could be some DNFs or Lewis is caught up in incidents um so he's still got to keep pushing. The job doesn't change for him. The job's still got to go out there and, and beat him. Um, but yeah, for sure, it will take a miracle or some freakish circumstance uh, for us to have a, a championship that goes on to, I think, the final three. Yeah, it's interesting. Hamilton himself acknowledged the you know this, the ever present threat of COVID could yet be something that that derails him. He's not taking anything for granted, understandably, because he just knows that that's something I've really got to do. He, you know, even more than normal is is keep himself healthy so that he can he can uh, attend the races and, and 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 carry on his what feels like an inevitable march. But as, as we say, we you know it's twenty twenty. It's the year that anything can happen, and it probably will. Um, well, let's um, guys. We're going to come back to Lewis Hamilton's ninety first uh, Formula One win and the big record and and, and the amazing reaction after the race we'll cover that off at the end but let, let's carry on um with the race um luke you were you were just going through the words of f1 safety director michael massey um after the race um because it was interesting you know obviously the the late safety car set up a sort of 10 or 11 lap sprint to the end and it was quite interesting but it was a bit of like it, there was a little bit of confusion about why it had come out so did he answer that in his audio file he did answer that in his audio file uh, to a question that I believe you you put to him and uh, yeah explained that uh, well I can quote him directly in fact uh, said that obviously Lando's car had some smoke and fire so that was one reason why they felt they needed a safety car not a virtual safety car and uh, they were also unsure whether the car would fit into the opening uh, that was at turn 6 due to the tightness of it so rather than having to react along the way it was determined to go for a safety car so it could dealt with be dealt with all at once immediately which uh, makes sense but I think this is the second or third time this season that we've had a safety car and they've gone oh yeah the car wouldn't fit like through the exit uh, route so I think that's something that obviously the, the safety standards or whatever I'm sure will come into it but it just seems a, a bit of a strange one that they keep sort of having these uh, these exit rows where the cars are meant to be pushed up but they're too tight to actually get the cars up there therefore it has to be a safety car so it, uh, it definitely did sort of shake things up a little bit I think Mercedes would probably have been uh, cursing a little bit when they saw that come out and particularly Daniel Ricciardo as well who obviously was at that point so 
far ahead of Sergio Perez. And uh, yeah, it was it was definitely a, an interesting decision. But um, ultimately, Massey, he said that that was the reason for it. He said that they basically just wanted to cover everything off. Uh, also explained the length of the safety car as well, which was another sticking point. We heard Max Verstappen and Lewis Hamilton at the front. They were both sort of saying, why is this going on so long? Like the tyres are getting really, really cold. And Massey said basically because the sporting regulations say that all the lapsed cars have to be waved past and because Hamilton and Verstappen had lapped everyone, I believe up to sort of fifth or sixth by that point, there were just so many cars that had to get past and then get all the way around the circuit again. So it was, uh, yeah, quite a lengthy safety car that did sort of, I think, leave a few people sweating on just how their tyres would be for that restart with about uh, 10 laps to go. Just to briefly explain, I didn't know that I had asked Michael Massey that because of the way that, uh, because in the COVID times, there is no press conference. You can't go to go into a room and, and asking questions directly. So one of the FIA media delegates, uh, the very nice Roman comes around and uh, and asks, you know, writes down your questions in the notebook. And uh, sometimes they get put to Michael Massey, sometimes they don't. So anyway, thank you very much for answering that question, Michael. Um, but yeah, Codders, just before we come on to um, talk about Daniel Ricciardo getting third for Renault, um, what did you make of uh, Verstappen and Red Bull today? It was, it was, it was a kind of, it was... The, the, the cliched race of two two halves it doesn't really work when you consider Alex Albon taking off the front wing of Daniel Kvyat having to retire because debris had punctured his radiator and yet Max Verstappen again excellent in a car that he says is getting better it's still not a Mercedes beater but it's just it's better than it was uh, at the start of the season when it was when it was um, the handling was proving very very tricky so yes what did you make of Red Bull today it's interesting um, obviously Lewis post race said that when he was informed that uh, Max had usurped his fastest lap of the race on the last lap. He said, where are my notes here in this regard? I've got so many notes. Yes, he said, Mercedes need to keep pushing. This is why we need to keep pushing because um, these guys are catching up. They're fast. And and on the face of it, you could say, well, yes, yeah, that, 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 that does seem plausible. However, this is just one lap at the end of a race uh, where, where they've had the facility to uh, put on a new set of tyres towards the end. They're not able to string that sort of performance together over enough laps to challenge Mercedes over the course of a race distance. So to my mind, it is once again close but no cigar. And possibly you could argue Max Verstappen outperforming the car again because Alex Albon made he made very heavy weather of that race. And I don't think it's going to look good in review for him what with flat spotting his first two sets of tyres and taking off another driver's uh, wing with, 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 a, with a clumsy re-establishment of the racing line. What some people might call a transitory curve, I'm sure, but if it is in Piero Taruffi's um, race, race driver's manual, but um, yeah, once again, Red Bull have very, very much one car doing one thing and another car doing another, which isn't going to wash well. I think there were sort of um, some signs of light coming from Red Bull through this weekend. They did bring some updates to the car uh, for the Nürburgring, uh, most notably around the wrist suspension. They sort of went for a design that they initially tried to get outlawed when Mercedes turned up with it in Australia. They've gone down a similar design route and that sort of brought a little bit of, uh, I think, a step forward. Uh, Alex Albon said after qualifying that even though in FP3 they basically had to commit to using it, uh, he immediately felt a big step forward. Max Verstappen was also much more upbeat about it and in qualifying they looked a lot 
lot better. I mean, they were a lot closer to Mercedes than normal. And then in the race, I think Verstappen, I think he actually did pretty well. Like he did well to sort of hang on basically as much as he could. Alex Albon, I thought had a shocker. Like I just thought he was really underperformed right the way through the race. I thought the incident with Kvyat is just a, that's a really basic thing. Um, yeah. And I, I just, I, for all of the sort of the encouragement and all of the progress that we sort of see at points from Albon, for all of the sort of hype around the Mugello podium, for example, and then he has a weekend like this and it's a bit like, well, the, this is where Red Bull have got to try and capitalise when Mercedes are down to one car, when ideally they want to sort of be in that two-in-one situation that, of course, that lacking that was the whole reason that that was one of the reasons that Pierre Gasly was binned off midway through last season because ultimately they were losing fights because they couldn't be two on one against Mercedes and it's kind of similar here and I think that if if it were a closer title fight if Red Bull were closer to Mercedes and Verstappen were like up there with Hamilton in the points to be lacking this rear gunner as they currently are I think would be hurting a lot more than it is but yeah I, I just was really disappointed by Albon today really disappointed I think it was a really damning thing for Alex Albon this weekend was being out qualified by Charles Leclerc in that uh, extremely underwhelming Ferrari from 2020, let's face it. Um, well, 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 Verstappen was in his customary third place behind the Mercedes drivers. Um, but John, let's let's come on to the driver who, who finished uh, third in the race, Daniel Ricciardo. How good do you think he was today? Because it was it was an interesting one from, from Ricciardo in that the safety car really so it, it saved him but you know he still had to put up the fight against Perez who's probably you know in a, in a faster racing point if you take a look at the season as a whole um, and also it was interesting I asked uh, Ricardo in the press conference you know did, did he think he would have held on even if the safety car hadn't appeared because he'd had to stop and go onto the mediums or he had stopped and gone onto the mediums under the uh, virtual safety car and his feeling was we don't know we, we discussed pitting but the, the the call ultimately would have been yes we would have stayed out and tried to make a fight of it because you just can't guarantee getting back past when you've sacrificed track position so you know ultimately that I think that's the feeling again why the race sort of just it, it, it ended up missing something because that that great finish that it was building towards with Perez coming back at you know almost a second a lap at one stage um against Ricardo that 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 was taken away from it but nevertheless Ricardo finally gets his Renault podium, his first podium since winning the Monaco Grand Prix in 2018. Yes. Back to my original question, John. How good was he today? Yeah, I think it was a, a great, great, another great afternoon from Daniel. I think he's he's been the element this year that's lifted Renault up. I think he's pushed that team on, um, kind of the, working with the, the engineers, working with the team, working on the setup, giving them direction, giving them belief. Um, I think he found this, what he's called the sweet spot, sweet spot setup at Silverstone. Um, they obviously unlocked something there, and they've built on it since Spa. And this weekend was going to be a, <clears throat> a key weekend for the team. It was back to high downforce. Uh, we'd seen how um, lacklustre the team had been in Budapest and Barcelona when we'd been last out in a, this high downforce configuration. So they've been quite nervous coming here. They weren't really sure was this going to be another step back? Were they going to struggle, or could they build on this momentum they've got? <clears throat> So the fact they qualified both cars quite well. Um, Daniel was up there, <clears throat> pulled a great move um, on Leclerc, which Luca de Mayo, <clears throat> the CEO, loved. Uh, and then held on. I think he was, you know, there wasn't an element of fortune there. Lando Norris uh, was closing in before Perez, before Lando had that um, uh, engine issue. So he would have been putting pressure on Daniel as well and Sergio. So, yeah, sure, there was a bit of bit of good fortune with that safety car kind of guaranteeing Daniel um, that podium once he'd fought off Sergio's advances at the restart but you know thoroughly well deserved I think I'm glad 
you know, we thought he'd come close to some previous races, but I think it's great for great for him, great for Team Enstone to do it. Uh, and I think great for Formula 1 because this whole backstory of the tattoo, um, everyone was talking about after the race. It was all all over social media. Um, it's been one of the most popular post-race stories. So um, now we just need to see what tattoo Cyril gets. Cyril was saying that um, you know that they have parameters in their agreement about the size and the dimensions and the design, and so it's it's all sort of very much um, up for negotiation. But he also said that they had a lot of doubts coming into this race, like you say, Johnny, that. Um, that high downforce package they don't use very often and and when it's been used in the past the car has suffered a lot of instability on turning uh into corners um so it, it, it they've struggled with it so they, they do feel like they've unlocked something and he talked about them kind of being on on the right trajectory and hoping that they can sort of carry on bringing this and he also alluded to fernando alonso quietly in the background getting very excited about it he he said um i see a shark uh because uh, fernando alonso has scented blood in the water at the uh, increasing performance of renault yeah, it does seem to have been a rare sort of correct career step from Fernando Alonso coming back when he is and with a team that's actually on the up. It's quite incredible. So I think I, and I'm actually quite excited to see what he can do with Renault next year because I think they are they are in really good shape. And I think a lot of that, as John said, I think that a lot of that does come down to Daniel Ricciardo and just how well he's been performing this year. And I think, but yeah, my big curiosity, my big question after the race is just what exactly is, uh, is the tattoo going to be? And Daniel Ricciardo, he said, uh, it's probably something to do with me but I think with a German flavour. This is a place we did it. So a little tip of the hat, something traditional in Germany as well. And there were some great suggestions on social media. Um, a full back tattoo of Daniel Ricciardo wearing Lederhosen uh, with a Bratverse, things like that. Um, Christian Horner wearing Lederhosen, milking a cow. That was another idea. And I, I just love the idea that Daniel Ricciardo in his sort of parting gift to Renault will be something to do with himself that will be on Cyril Beeple's body forever. So I really can't wait to see what it is. Luke, I think you know the answer to this question because I'm sure I saw it on your social media feed earlier. But did Ricardo do a, a shoey at some point? He did, yes. So he on the podium. Um, I actually watched the podium live for the first first time ever I can remember today. I was uh, waiting to enter the press conference box and I uh, happened to be with the photographers watching the podium. It was very nice. But And I was waiting for Daniel to get his shoe and he never did. So, uh, But he then was quickly corrected and realised that. He said that he was just so caught up in the idea of being back on the podium that he forgot about his famous shoey. So uh, yeah, he took to his Instagram account to uh, in, his, in his Renault hospitality unit, popped open another bottle of champagne, filled up his boot and uh, yeah had a good old glug of the the classic shoey so uh yeah nice to see it back after what two years since the last uh, last time what are the, what are the covid protocols for shoeys and would he be banned from sharing sharing the shoey with you'd have to issue the shoe <laughs> <laughs> I think that's a bad idea sharing that anyway to be honest but uh, yes we we shall not be um yeah we'll see what the covid delegate makes of that maybe <laughs> Well, Cotters, uh, the man who chased Ricardo hard for third place but didn't make it, Sergio Perez, made up for a bit of a, a bit of an underwhelming Saturday, qualifying in P9 for Racing Point. A dramatic weekend for the team with Nico Hulkenberg having to replace Lance Stroll at the last moment uh, after FP3, and 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 Hulkenberg going from the from the back of the grid to the points. But uh, let's start with Perez. What did, what did you make of him at least today? I think he did very well in the race. Uh, obviously, she say qualified very underwhelmingly and let, let, let me just 
turn back to my notes. What did he do? Did he do 28 laps on the soft tyre? I think he did 28 laps on the... Off the top of my head, I think it was 30 off the top of my head. It was something like... It's 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 nearly hard, at least nearly hard. Where where have I put my Pirelli... pit stop thing yeah he stopped on lap 20 no hold on no no yeah he stopped on lap 28 to put c3s on so yeah to to go that far into the race on the soft tires that everyone else was desperate to get off was was quite a good feat and that was teeing up a good result and who knows what might have happened but for the the safety car and 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 the question mark that exists in my mind is that when the safety car came out racing point pitted hulkenberg first who of course had gone long on a harder compound tire um to begin with and left sergio out for another lap uh, before pitting him so i i i was kind of thinking why did they do that it's it's tricky i didn't have uh, with with being at home and and not having all the the data available to me I, I couldn't see quite where they were on the track probably they didn't want to have them double stacked i i did sort of wonder if perhaps they'd kind of prioritized hulkenberg because they thought at this point given their failures to to notch up points where they should have done previously in the season they're looking to accumulate points and they kind of thought looked at what the picture would be if they didn't stop perez first and thought at the most he'll drop one position so we will prioritize Hulken preserving Hulkenberg's putative top 10 spot and then we get two scoring places and and then we're in clover uh, and that was what it looked like to me but yeah it, it, it was quite an interesting way that race played out and, and as you say brilliantly done by Hulkenberg he made a very difficult strategy work Absolutely, John. How did you how did you rate Hulkenberg's performance? Because it's kind of it's kind of more difficult to judge him on this one because he had absolutely no practice. Okay, everybody else only got sixty minutes in FP three, but he jumped in, qualifies last. Okay, it's like it's you know you can't really criticise him, but also you're a bit like ah, you know that car is really really quick. But then gets gets points with a great drive. He overcame the fact that he had a bad start because he was in the wrong engine mode. Yeah, what did you make of Hulkenberg today? Well, the two two takeouts from Hulkenberg's weekend. First of all, what's going on with Luke Smith and Hulkenberg? Because Luke's been at um, three races this year. Um, the two Silverstone races, Sergio Perez doesn't take part. Nico Hulkenberg does. Uh, then we send him to the Nurburgring. Uh, Lance Stroll is ill and Nico Hulkenberg is back in so I want to know if there's some like special commission going on or some management contract going on is is, is, is he on some sort of uh, deal with Xlax or something like that because I'm I'm led to believe that the world fell out of Lance Stroll's bottom uh, this uh, this Grand Prix that was wonderfully put, Cotter. So, yeah, it's weird, isn't it? And I tweeted this, and Racing Point uh, tweeted back sort of with a Gordon Ramsay gift saying, Luke, we love you, but please get out. Like, stop doing this. And uh, But then there were lots of other fans on Twitter being like, keep going to races, keep going to races. So, um, yes, uh, but uh, Racing Point, if you are listening, and Nico Hulkenberg, just be on standby. Uh, I'll be in Portugal, and I'll be at Imola as well. So, uh, yeah, you may need Hulkenberg recalled there, but I can put any conspiracy theories to bed. There's nothing, nothing dodgy going on, I promise. So yeah, so beyond Luke's um, management contract with Hulkenberg, um, I was quite impressed in this weekend because I think you, you, you never really appreciate how hard it is to be competitive in Formula 1 and how how small the margins are between um, being good, 
being brilliant and, and you know when they're really on the pace and qualifying near the front so hulk had 18 minutes i think in that car to try to get through and the, the pace was coming he was, you know, they gave him lots of fuel lots of laps to do it um and he got on the pace um but obviously with the car having been updated since he last drove it having not um driven at all that weekend it was always gonna be a tall order to to get out of q1 so um then the start he put put it in the wrong um start mode which he realized and managed to counter it made sure he stayed out of trouble at turn one and i think after that you know solid strong and did you know as good a job as could be expected really i think you know having thrown in completely the deep end with even less preparation than he had at silverstone because back then he had time in the simulator so i think it's um I think it's quite a good modern F1 story about a bloke drinking a coffee in a, with a friend at 11 o'clock on a Saturday morning and then scoring points the next afternoon. I'm not sure that happens very often in history. There's a song about that, isn't there? I don't care if you get here, but get here if you can. Is it Beverly Craven? This has gone straight over Alex's sure head. I'm sure it is, yes. Uh, well, Connor's coming back to you. Roman Grosjean in the points for Haas, his first points of the season, actually, after worrying early on that he might have broken a finger when some gravel flicked up, apparently, from uh, Kimi Räikkönen's Alfa Romeo. So, yeah, um, what did you make of Grosjean's drive? It was uh, it was a bit of a change from his uh, his usual radio rants and, and things like that. But, yeah, success yes. for, for Grosjean. And as you say, um, as we said earlier, you know, he comes on a weekend where... Uh, Things are a bit different with no practice sessions, so maybe Hassel will be lobbying to have uh, have that have that part of the uh, part of the schedule all the time. It was a long first stint on mediums for Roman. Obviously, you know he made a bit of a horlix of the start, dropped to the back, but um, uh, you know medium tyres. He made them last uh, until lap twenty eight and changed them, and, and and that sort of put him in the pound seats for the rest of it. Obviously, he then wasn't able to. Um, come in and change tyres and, and and do what everyone else did. So it, it did put him at risk later on. He had track position, but he was always going to be passed by Pierre Gasly, Charles Leclerc, who'd, who'd stopped under the safety car. So um, it, it, I, the, the way Gunter Steiner put it is that we weren't racing them, we were racing the Alfa Romeos. And that's quite a clue into Haas's mindset at the moment that they are racing Alfa Romeo the, the, the way they look at it so so to them it was a great success and for for Roman I know we mock him slightly for being a bit of an old woman about having his, his knuckle cracked with a bit of gravel but it must have been pretty painful and like you say it makes a change from him moaning about everything else Indeed. Well, we've come to the point in the podcast where we have to talk about Ferrari uh, being underwhelming. Uh, Sebastian Vettel, again, another on force error. As I said, he was racing Giovinazzi early on, spun off at turn one. I think I made a note in my race sport that it was uh, it was rather Felipe Massa-like because he spun off at that very corner in the last uh, Nürburgring race, although admittedly Massa was completely by himself, whereas Vettel was at least uh, in the vicinity of another car. Um, John, again, I know that there were some uh, some of the, the classic Ferrari media session issues uh, Issues um, when it comes when it came to covering everything remotely. But what what were the team saying about what had gone on today? Because it's obviously very good Saturday for Charles Leclerc. But as I said, he was a bit of a rolling roadblock early on, and then and then faded a little bit, overcome by the Alfred uh, Alfred Alfred Tauri, and had to make a, an extra stop. So yeah, what were Ferrari saying after that race? Yeah, I think the Ferrari. I mean, the Vettel obviously has had another disaster. I mean, it's fairly clear he doesn't get on with this car. Um, he can't 
<clears throat> gets get performance from it that Charles Leclerc can find. Doesn't seem comfortable. Seems to be a magnet for incidents. Um, he said today he took some risks, um, probably too much of a risk. Um, got caught out by the the wake transition as he popped out from behind um, Giovinazzi um, and spun, and that was that was his afternoon pretty much finished. But Charles Charles said he wanted needed to dig into the data of the race. Basically, that the car had been brilliant on one lap yesterday they always knew they wouldn't be as strong over a, a long race stint but he thinks today was kind of overshadowed by graining in the first stint he was struggling with understeer so the pace fell away but he said the second and third stints were actually much better the car felt more together um so he just wants to go away and understand that what happened with those with, with that second and third stint that didn't happen in the first stint and where would that where would that pace have put them but i think it's a it was a weekend of a bit of progress from ferrari they bought some updates just not not necessarily to bring a big chunk of lap time but to prove that what they're producing in the wind tunnel in cad at the factory is coming across the car because that's been one of their problems at the start of the year so tick that box so there'll be some more updates so i think they're slowly slowly getting there a bit of a you know glimmer of encouragement with what charles was able to do on a single lap and we know charles has been fantastic all season um so i don't think we're going to see ferrari you know suddenly burst out and return to the front of the midfield pack or the best of the rest behind mercedes and red bull but i think you know there is potential for some strong performances um on at least either a saturday or a sunday over the rest of the campaign certainly watching the race bore that out didn't it because during that first stint with Ricardo behind him uh, Leclerc was basically just parking the bus uh, particularly through that sort of the, the complex turns ones two three four uh, that Ricardo was all over him and he was reduced to just basically blocking him and later on when you saw him battling other cars there on, on his other sets of tyres the, the, the car just looked I, I won't say transformed but it looked a lot more it looked a lot more incisive and it, it looked like he had more confidence in it Indeed. Well, it wasn't just Lewis Hamilton who made history today. Kimi Räikkönen officially becoming the sole holder of uh, the Formula 1 record for most starts, now on 323, ahead of Rubens Barrichello, who he was jointly on after the Russian Grand Prix. Um, Luke, we we chatted about uh, about this in the car. I think this was shortly after I'd had to uh, make up for taking a wrong turn and adding at least a minute or two to our journey. Um, and also, I uh, uh, whenever the the the, uh, the the nice sat-nav lady was giving me instruction, I would uh, unleash the Kimi Räikkönen impression that I'm rather fond of doing, um, but yeah, it was. Uh, I think I said. I think I said it was a bit of a shocker for Räikkönen on his uh, on his uh, day of days, becoming the most experienced driver. Um, yeah, taking out George Russell basically after he got a, a snap of oversteer as they were following uh, Vettel into turn one. But I mean, Räikkönen never really gives the impression of caring about anything because that's that's sort of his thing. In fact, I think back. It feels like about a month ago I was writing a feature on him, an upcoming feature for Autosport magazine, having spoken to him at, at Monza at this very table where. I'm recording this podcast when we arrived in Germany. But nevertheless, anyway, I'm massively digressing. Um, must be the, uh, the the can of Kong Strong kicking Kong in. Kong Strong. The I had at the beginning Kong of this Strong. podcast. Everything uh, you need Luke, in a can. <laughs> it, I mean, and more. You are Kong. You are mighty. Working. I don't know. <laughs> I hope I'm. I hope I'm not just imagining this. Uh, this seemed cool, but there we go. But anyway, Luke, back. What did you? What What happened with Kimi Räikkönen today? 
Uh, yeah, I think that summed up his race really, didn't it? When he had that that run in with George Russell, and uh, it was it was a shame because he was kind of sort of floating up towards the points, and part of me was thinking, oh, that's quite sort of a, a nice touch. Not that Kimi would care one iota, but maybe if he could mark this landmark uh, achievement with maybe a point or two. Uh, but then had the run in with Russell, and then uh, the uh, time penalty that came with it, rightly given out. He really did wreck Russell's race, and yeah, George Russell sort of afterwards was a bit, uh, yeah, I think rather polite in his uh, in his consternation uh, across the radio to uh, to use a phrase that Stuart Codling I, I'm sure would be very very happy with um, but it's a uh, good nod of approval thank you Codders um, but yeah it was it was a bit of a shame because I think we would have liked to have maybe seen uh, uh, a nice sort of uh, a nice point or two to maybe mark uh, such an achievement for Kimmy uh, but I don't think, as you say, he would have cared. Like it was quite nice seeing in the build-up to the race, lots of sort of like messages and video clips and things being shared on social media. And F1, uh, they released a video of uh, his first interview, I think, at the 2001 Australian Grand Prix, and he was asked like all these questions, and he gave very similar sort of like one-word, two-word, one-sentence answers as he does today. So even after uh, 19 years and but what 323 Formula One races, not a lot has changed. So uh, yeah, that that was really Kimi's race. But also, Alex, like you can't mention the Kimi Raikkonen impression without doing the Kimi Raikkonen impression, surely. Nah, it's too fucking late now. Anyway, um, let's uh, let's go on to end. I think on uh, on on the the other real big talking point in the post race. Um, apologies for any Kimi Raikkonen fans because that was, of course, an appalling impression of Kimi Raikkonen. Um, Lewis Hamilton equals Michael Schumacher on ninety one Formula One race wins. There was a really touching ceremony after the race where Mick Schumacher presented Hamilton with one of uh, Michael Schumacher's helmets from his time at Mercedes, and Hamilton, you felt, was like you know this. The, it was really humbled by the fact that the, the Schumacher family had had come along to honour his victory but yeah Codders what, what, what do you think how I mean how big a moment is this for Hamilton and also for Formula One and it's interesting I, I clicked on uh, in, in a rare moment uh, I've found five minutes or so to to peruse the news uh, in the post-race time that we had after all the, all the press conferences going on and I clicked on the, the Guardian's homepage and, and it was right at the top there I mean it wasn't obviously the very top because of all the all the unpleasantness going on in the world and, and why would it be because it's, it's a sporting event but it, you know nevertheless it was obviously their their analytics were telling them that that had to be as we know from autosport.com up at the top because people were, were reading it but yeah what did what do you think this uh, this moment means for hamilton and for formula one i think so you did not make the very good kimmy raikkonen impression <laughs> better than yours mine was, uh, mine was more energetic <laughs> Um, no, I, I I I thought it was great. Um, and and isn't it a shame that how awful the world is at the moment that you have Mick Schumacher presenting Lewis Hamilton with one of his dad's crash helmets from uh, I I think the Mercedes days. It had Monster branding on it, um, or it's been. 2012 post monstered um a brilliantly touching thing but then to see them sort of shake hands and hug and think oh they've broken the bubble uh and and, and that kind of spoiled the moment for me so once again damn you 2020 shakes fist <laughs> um I, I, i'd have loved for that to have happened in any other year but this when they could have had a hug because lewis was generally sorry genuinely lost for words there and, and it, it takes a lot to sort of take lewis out of the moment like that because usually he's sort of trying to sort of put his thoughts into context he's, he, he does his sort of 
stream of consciousness speech uh, when, when he does the post-race interviews and, and it's all sort of done by rote, but he's also sort of trying to put each victory in some sort of context and be modest. And to, to sort of have that thing, you know, here you've broken, you know, you've equaled the all-time win record, um, actually really put him off his stroke and he, he was genuinely speechless and it was an amazing moment. Well, you attended Hamilton's uh, post-race media session that Mercedes organised away from the official FIA uh, press conference where Hamilton, of course, was was talking at length about um, equaling Schumacher's record. It was interesting what, what, what he, he said at the time, you know, at the start of that FIA, the official press conference, that, you know, things obviously hadn't sunk in yet. How was he after a couple of hours? What was the, what was sort of takeaway? Uh, I, don't think, I don't think there was much discussion of the race in that second press conference, but what was Lewis saying about um, how he was feeling about the record? Yeah, things have definitely started to sink in a little bit more. And he said that since the press conference, he'd uh, had a bit more time to think about it. He'd had a chat on the phone to his dad and they kind of spoken about uh, memories and reminiscing like, oh, do you remember when we were sort of at this track or that track? And I guess sort of really looking back on, on the journey they've been together. And uh, it was it was really good because uh, Mercedes, they often did not give this extra media session if the drivers had been in the top three, which obviously Lewis Hamilton tends to be. But this weekend they've uh, returned it so that they do another one anyway and when Lewis came into the room to do the Zoom call he went oh I thought we weren't doing this anymore and I was thinking oh here we go like I just want to have it done and, and quickly be gone with it but it was absolutely the opposite like he was very very generous with his time I think we spoke for a good sort of 25 minutes um, as a group and I think big props to both Mercedes and to, and to Lewis for sort of giving that opportunity because it was just really great to I think hear him try and sum up the journey he's been on I think over the past sort of seven years with Mercedes that's delivered all this success and it has taken him from being a one-time world champion with what 21 22 race wins under his belt at that point and go on to become statistically the greatest driver in the history of Formula One and the debate about the greatest of all time that's something that is never going to end it's something that Lewis Hamilton spoke about in the session as well Uh, he made reference uh, without naming Jackie Stewart to Jackie Stewart's recent comments and he said that he doesn't understand why some of the older drivers have a bee in their bonnet about sort of what he's doing or where he compares to the greats and he said that ultimately you're never going to know but he's just very proud of everything that he's done and the journey he's been on but ultimately he also wants to make a wider impact away from the track and he said that he doesn't want to be remembered for holding all these records obviously he will be and if we ever do get to a period where there is a driver who gets to I'm not going to say 91 because we know Lewis Hampton is going to add to that he will be in three figures I think probably by next year but um, if a driver gets to that point like obviously we will sort of be talking about Hamilton with these kind of big numbers again but Lewis said that he wants to be remembered about what he does away from the circuit and we see that right now with all of his activism everything around Black Lives Matter and uh, all of his stands against racial injustice and that is so much more important to him than, than what he's doing on track and I'm sure if you he would trade every single one of those 91 wins and his world titles for a more just and a more equal world and I think it is it really just speaks to what he's doing that he's got all this success he's in the best form of his life he keeps saying like I'm in a good place I'm not done with F1 by any means but he's also thinking about the wider legacy he wants to leave and uh, that goes yeah far beyond what will be left in the record books 
Absolutely, and I think it does. It does sort of tend. To, it sets him apart from the other world champions that he's gone on the, on this quest, and he is he's using his platform for for such a for such a wonderful way. Uh, you know, such such a good thing that he's doing. And um, yeah, it's a bit like you could you could say Jackie Stewart stands out for his safety crusade when people were against him. You know, back in the sixties and seventies, Lewis Hamilton. Okay, you know, the, the the world is a bit different now, but he's still getting tons of criticism because people are saying, well, you should keep politics out of sport, forgetting, of course, that you you can't, and and that there. Are have been times where actually you know uh, taking a, a, a political boycotts of of sporting stuff has actually helped societies and um, but sorry god is i think you wanted to come in uh, on that on this discussion as well yeah I've, I've, well I've, based on what you said i'd also i'd say that it would I'd, I'd i'd say that whether wearing a black lives matter t-shirt or but whatever t-shirt lewis chooses to wear on the podium is a political point is is debatable but um, no, I, I was just thinking, and it, it's only just struck me today, what such a crazy mixed up year we've been in that um, I'd, I'd, I'd forgotten that my first encounter with Lewis was 20 years ago this March when I was dispatched to Parma in Italy to um, cover for the McLaren magazine racing line, not Dieter Renken racing lines, <laughs> uh, for, for racing line. Uh, I was sent to cover a, a karting event um, with, with two of their hot young carters, uh, Lewis Hamilton and, and Nico Rosberg. And it was my first meeting with Lewis and his dad. And, and what struck me that weekend... Lewis was on the wrong tyres, so he didn't even make the, uh, the the final, and he was absolutely disconsolate. And from what I'd seen, he was he was very very good, but also so intense a competitor. He was absolutely destroyed that he he didn't make the final. He was he was outside the top three, and his father was having to talk him down off the ceiling. And say, so, you know, it's, it's all right. You're on the wrong tires. You did everything right. It was brilliant. You know, you, it's 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 sort of fine. And 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 you see, I, I see flashes of that in the post race when Lewis hasn't had a good race or things have gone wrong for him. I see that sort of dispiritedness and petulance that he he, he parks. And, and and I do feel very privileged to have met him at that point in his career and and to now, twenty years later, be talking about him potentially being fatuous though it may be to talk about anyone as the greatest of all time because it's difficult to compare people across eras but certainly by a staggering margin the greatest driver of his generation just following on from that obviously it's only my first year covering formula one like you know i've done plenty of work on autosport.com helping with you know, news desk shifts uh, across grand prix uh, weekends for, for many years now but obviously you just don't you don't naturally because it's not your job you don't pay attention to all of the press conferences that are going on so you you don't you know see as much of what the drivers are like after sessions but it's been really noticeable this year for me that whenever he is defeated whether that's in in the race obviously which has more of an impact but even in qualifying where he's still a chance to make up for it Lewis Hamilton does not like losing he's really really good and even sometimes when he has been successful something something's annoyed him he's not he's not afraid to uh, to let people know and also just very very quickly just on the on the the, the sport and politics don't mix things um, it's it's not a political issue to stand up for equal rights for all races that's just good humanity yeah, it's so not politics it's just, just being a point. good human no, boy, no, it's, it's not it's, it's human being rather yeah exactly Exactly, exactly. Um, but John, um, just uh, as, as I asked Cod as a difficult question to start, I'm going to ask you a difficult question to end. 91 victories, he can extend that record uh, and, and when he wins his next one, he will take it for his own. Um, do you think that Lewis Hamilton's record, whatever it ends up being when his Formula 1 career ends, do you think that will ever be beaten? 
potentially. Um, records are there to be broken. Uh, and no matter what record anyone sets, whether it's 100 metres, a marathon, uh, you know, 100 wins or 150 wins, these, these records always tumble. I mean, I, you look back to when, you know, Prost broke Jackie Stewart's record and um, then we've had, um, you know, Schumacher's titles and Schumacher beating Fangio's titles. They all seemed unassailable at the time, but circumstances can come around. But I think we've had a unique set of circumstances of, you know, one, one of the most brilliant drivers we've ever seen uh, in one of the most brilliant teams that Formula One has ever seen in an era when that team has been utterly dominant. We've not had this um, for a while. Um, so we've had, he's had a run of victories in a compressed time. That's been what perhaps was what has been the biggest surprise. But there's not who's to say that when Lewis retires in two, three, four years' time and um, maybe Max Verstappen takes over, he doesn't then enjoy a similar similar, similar vein of success and then the results can results and records can go forwards. Um, I think one of the most interesting comments tonight actually came from Seb Vettel. Um, he was asked in the Ferrari briefing about what he thought of Lewis's records and achievements and how they compare to Michael Schumacher's and Vettel was flat out saying that uh, in his mind Michael Schumacher remains the most talented racing driver he has seen um, he says he's not seen any driver with as big a natural talent as Michael Schumacher he says he's seen it when he's seen Michael Karting he's seen it close up when he worked um, was his teammate in the race of champions and he stood by his belief that Schumacher um, still stands up there in natural talent. So it's quite an interesting perspective on it all. It certainly does there in the debate. Well, Luke, I'm going to come to you for one final question before we wrap up this podcast. Um, obviously, we've we've been enjoying the last few days um, here at the here in Germany. Um, perhaps didn't enjoy Friday because it was just a lot of sitting around waiting uh, for the mist to disappear, and it didn't. Although it did actually because it got very sunny towards the end of the day on Friday. It was like uh, the sun was actually mocking Formula One, frankly. Um, but yeah, would you like to see the Nurburgring come back onto the calendar? Because obviously, it wasn't supposed to be uh, a Formula One race held this year. What what, what have you made of uh, of this week? weekend and yeah would you like to see it repeated again if it were possible in the future oh definitely yeah i've always been a big fan of the circuit i mean I, one of my dairy uh, no my second ever formula one race um was the last grand prix here in 2013 and even then i was like oh, this is pretty cool and i came back then for for weck a couple of years later and it's just it's just it's just a really cool track and i think a lot of the drivers they really they enjoyed it out there that you can sort of have these like wheel-to-wheel battles and i think we saw that a lot through the sort of turn one two three four complex where it is it isn't just that they get the move done into a 90 degree right-hander and that's it that there are these different lines you can take and we saw that with with Bottas and his defensive move basically even though he was forced right out wide at turn one that gave him the cutback for turn two and it's nice that we're sort of it's not a sanitized track it is a track that's got gravel traps and it punishes mistakes and I think it's it's just been a really it's just been a really good weekend and I think that this a bit like Mugello I think it'll be the same with Imola as well it's just a like proper racing circuit and I think the drivers do really love that and there was a very wholesome moment in FP3 when Roman Grosjean amid all the madness of the session everyone trying to get in basically three practice worth session pre three practice sessions worth of running into a one hour session um like Grosjean just went over the radio and he said it's a beautiful track 
and that is that's I think how we all feel like it's just a really great circuit and uh, yeah I think obviously a lot of it comes down to money and what they can work out in terms of the future of the German Grand Prix and everything like that but I think that if at the end of the year we kind of have to rank tracks that we saw this year that we'd like to come back for me I think I think Nürburgring might be number one Um, yeah I really enjoyed this weekend so I really hope we get more trips uh, back here in the future and how was Alex's pizza cooking this weekend Fine, nothing went wrong at all. <laughs> nothing to see here. I, I Move can, on. I can I can mute you all because I created this. Uh, was this it caramelised no, onions? Why don't, you, why don't you why don't why don't you tell the listeners what 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 happened on uh, Friday night? Was it? It was yes. So uh, we did. Uh, we struck a deal that Alex, because he is kindly doing all the driving this weekend, I would do all the cooking. So that that's all fair enough. So on Thursday night we had what did we have on Thursday night? We had some pasta, didn't we? Yes. It was um, knocky. Noki, yeah, that was it. Lovely pesto noki, lots of veg, really good. We both done track runs, they're very good. And then we've been to the supermarket, and for Friday we thought it's Alex. Obviously, does his uh, his Friday feature for Autosport Plus, so make it very easy. Just get a couple of pizzas, bung them in the oven. So uh, Alex did that. He got it all set up, and um, he did one on the top, one on the very bottom of the oven. And we thought, okay, cook them at the same time. Left it eight minutes, as the packet said. And um, then Alex was like, oh, that's not gone well, and pulled out this very black very singed pizza on top and um the one on the bottom of the oven was absolutely perfect and it cooked yes. heat rises this is what happens in an oven alex <laughs> indeed indeed um but then and i was i i, just, I looked at the top one i was like i'm just not gonna eat that but alex i mean you worked your way through it and it wasn't terrible am i right in thinking no 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 it, it, it was fine it just smelled weirdly like chocolate that's not what a pizza is meant to do but okay hey man pizza Um, and chocolate that's two ultimate combos there one after the other surely not both in the same gobful i mean i know it's i know it's all basically the same once you've once it's swilling around in your stomach but ye gods what an appalling affront to italian cuisine you've committed (laughs) codders i look forward to when you return to the f1 circus and can put your seven years in the catering industry experience well i did you remember in testing i made a very nice thing and one one of our social team whinged about it what what, what, i I forget what he whined about but there was there was some sort of moan (laughs) didn't he then end up in your car boot yes i made him sit in the car boot as punishment yeah, that's how things go at Autosport. Um, I think we'll bring things to an end there. Um, I think Luke is cooking tonight, so there's no danger of uh, us getting food poisoning with uh, me being in charge, uh, briefly trying to help out on the on the food front, and it all went disastrously. Although, as you say, Luke, the second pizza was cooked to perfection. Um, but anyway, there we go. Right, well, anyway, before anything else happens to humiliate me, um, let's, uh, let's, let's just say goodbye. Thank you very much. Thanks to the three of you for coming on the podcast tonight, and thanks to everybody listening along and putting up with my... Uh, ridiculous coming right in impression so just before we go we'd like to remind you that the latest issue of Autosport magazine came out on Thursday and is available on the supermarket shelves and in newsagents as well as on the doormats of subscribers there'll be a new issue of the magazine for you to pick up every Thursday packed full of news analysis and the usual stunning photography and of course if you want unlimited access to Autosport from the comfort of your home visit autosport.com slash plus to find out how to subscribe to our digital package we'll be back soon with another episode of the Autosport podcast
Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Sports Social Podcast Network. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.